The Rami's Aid Show, interviewing interesting people so people can learn interesting things. Here is your host, Rami Zaid. Hello, listeners, and welcome to The Rami's Aid Show, where I interview interesting people so people can learn interesting things. My guest today is Brett Hunley. It's not too often I get to mingle with NFL quarterbacks, but Brett is just that and so much more. His football career from Chandler High School in Arizona to UCLA to the NFL comes up throughout the conversation. But Brett and I discuss cooking, travel, photography, family, epilepsy, life outside of football, and life after football. Brett is a special guy. I was a big fan before the conversation, and I'm a bigger fan now. That said, here is my conversation with Brett Hunley. This episode is brought to you by Cleanse on the Go. I've been promoting Cleanse on the Go for many months now because I believe in it. A cleanse for me had nothing to do with weight loss, although it does that as well, if that's what you're looking for, but for me, more of a mental reset. The beauty of Cleanse on the Go is its mobility and flexibility as you have a one, two, or three-day option to cater to your needs and wants. As most of my loyal listeners know, I absolutely promote a healthy eating and exercise lifestyle, and I'm obsessed with all the different workouts on the Peloton. But I'm a single dad, two kids, I'm coaching my kids' sports teams and working 24-7, so to say I'm a bit busy is a ludicrous understatement. Cleanse on the go is super easy to use. They're just small packets you mix with water. These small packets can fit easily into purses or pockets and are great for travelers busy lifestyles, or for you super lazy a-holes out there that sit on the couch. <laughs> As listeners to the Rami Zaid Show, you can get 17% off your order if you go to their website, simply cleanseonthego.com, pick the cleanse you want, and under discount code, just type in my first name, R-O-M-Y, and you'll receive the 17% off. Do it. You'll love it. Now let's get back to the Rami Zaid Show. Brad Hundley, welcome to the Rami Zaid Show. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for having <laughs> me, man. Thank you. You bet. All right, Brett. You're 28 years old, six foot three, 225, NFL quarterback. So there's no doubt football is going to be sprinkled throughout this conversation today. But as the listeners are about to hear, there's so much more when you talk about Brett Hundley, and I want them to hear it. So yes. I want to kick off this conversation with cooking. I know you love to cook, Brett. I know you love to cook. And actually, I want you to talk about that Men Who Cook series that you started. And as a side note, no joke, because I get into these podcasts. Last night, I did make that Quarray Atlantic salmon you did last December, and it was fantastic. Yes. I made the whole thing. I didn't put over rice like you did, but that thing was on point. I loved it, man. It was so good. That's what it's about, man. Seriously, that's honestly what it's about. I, I love food, man. But that, I, first off, I'm happy as heck to hear that you made the salmon. I got some more recipes for you to make and try. I'll, I'll post Great those much. here. But man, food has been such a like journey for me because uh, it started the whole like menu cook stuff, the name, everything like that. Like in my family, cooking was like what I didn't do. I just ate, you know, growing up. But my dad did all the cooking. And so, like, the men in our family always were the ones who really did the cooking. I mean, my dad did the cooking when he was growing up with uh, my Uncle Albert. 
And then in our household, my dad was always every Sunday would cook. And this is all time growing up. I mean, we'd have kids, you know, it's like every Sunday, all the kids, all the families would come over and my dad would always cook. And then, you know, even growing up for Pop Warner games, he would make his breakfast burritos and feed it to the kid. In high school, we used to do the same thing. Like he used to just cook all the time. And so like people knew if you ever come over my house, like he's always going to cook and there's always going to be food here and there's always going to be good, good people and good energy. And so like growing up, that was like, I mean, that's how, that's how I got so big. I mean, I just, I just, freaking ate everything. <laughs> you know, I just, I just ate, ate everything and growing up, that sort of was just the motto. And then uh, when I got to college, I didn't have it. So I had to like figure out how to start cooking. And it's not that I didn't like cooking. I just never really took the time to like learn the recipes or really cook for myself. Cause I always like my dad always cooked. And then I grew into like, well, I'll make dessert. Because I love sweets, have a huge sweet tooth from my mom. Thank you for giving that to me. But I <laughs> am a huge dessert fan. Like if you put a cheesecake or anything in front of me, it's gone. And so I used to just, I used to just make the desserts. I would help. You know, sometimes it gets my will. But you know, when you're playing video games as kids, your dad would tell you, "Hey, come downstairs and help cook this food." So I would do that, and that sort of was my role. And then once I got to college, I started calling them every weekend, and I was like, "Hey, man, like." How do you make this? And then how do you make this? And how do you make this? I started flying back. My mom was a flight attendant. So I started flying back sort of maybe like once a week, once every other week, hour flight. Every time I flew back, I would have something like a list of recipes to cook so I can learn them. And I would start writing down how to write them in my phone. And then when I went back, I would be able to make them. And then I would sort of just ask some small things about these recipes. And it, throughout all of college, that's how it went. And then eventually I didn't have to fly back. I would just sort of know the recipes, call them for a little help. And then that's how I started kicking it off. Teammates would come over, I would cook. And then once I got to the league for Green Bay, same thing, but it just got bigger. So I had more teammates coming over and I connected with other, like Lane Taylor, who was offensive lineman for the Green Bay Packers. We started cooking a lot for teammates. And he was huge in the barbecue. And that's how we connected really, really closely. And then we met people in the community who liked to cook. So it was this whole sort of inclusive thing. And then man, eventually it was just like, I just started posting videos every now and again. And the title sort of just came to me. It was like men who cook and sort of just ran with it. And every time I posted something, I would just like hashtag men who cook. And then I used to have this thing at Green Bay. It was called Pancakes Thursdays. And it wasn't that I would cook, but like every Thursday when I was playing, it'd be me, the whole line, and some other players would come sit at a table. And the staff, the cooks and stuff would make sheets of pancakes. Like not just like, <laughs> any, like and every, every week was different. I mean, it was hundreds of pancakes. And it was like, we would just take up the whole table. And after practice, Thursday's the hardest day. They would just line this whole thing up with sheets of pancakes chocolate pancakes, but like whatever you name it, oh like it, 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 it was on. And so that became a big thing. And then I just started honestly just talking to the chefs and everything and just learning about cooking because I was so fascinated with it. Then as I started growing, it sort of turned into its own thing to where like I have a production crew, as you call it now, and we film videos and we do videos for, I film my own stuff. So I like cooking. We actually just did this cool video segment with chef Colby Chandler, who was on Top Chef. His episode's coming out here shortly. But that was the first time I ever did that. We did a live and then we're going to re- release it here probably in a couple of weeks. But he showed me how to make a dish. And I, honestly, that's what cooking is about. And that's just it's been just a natural progression of like things coming about. So honestly, man, cooking to me as well, like I, I love eating. Obviously, as you guys know, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I like to think I'm a big dude, but like it's more so about the people and the connections you get with cooking. When people come in and they get a good meal, 
it's not, you know, me cooking in the kitchen. I, I love doing it. I love doing it for people. You know, everybody says, do you want to be a chef? No, because the connection between people is not necessarily there. I don't want to be in a kitchen stuck back there cooking and just throwing out dishes. I, I like cooking in my house and having people come over and I having an actual connection with them. And I, I feel like, especially nowadays, you know, that connection is lost. But when you just sit down over a good home cooked meal, I think that just speaks volumes. And there's a comfort, there's an energy, there's a vibrance to that. And I think that's really what attracts me to cooking so much. And, you know, still to this day, you know, Thanksgiving, me and my pops will cook. The family come over, friends, every everybody who knows my household, it's a very open household, just like I was raised. And know, you know, when you come in this household, like it's gonna be good energy. I don't care if you're sad, mad, like you're gonna be smiling in here. And then <laughs> we're, we're, I'm gonna make some food and we're gonna eat and just enjoy our company. And that to me is like where food is like taking a whole nother route for me. It's grown to places I didn't even I mean, we're doing deals with Napoleon. You know, like it's you know, big time companies were I was surprised when they were sending me grills and just saying, hey, cook on it. And I was like, sure. You know, like, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, sure. It's grown to so much more now to where, you know, hopefully I can do something with it after football. And that's the plan. But cooking, I mean, honestly, has a very big staple in my life. Yeah, man, that's sort of like the whole story of how it came about. So at this point, has your dad, because you were picking on him for recipes, has he now flipped the switch? Is he calling you for any recipes now? man my dad is too in his ways he knows what he cooks <laughs> and he sticks to it like he ain't he ain't going outside to like he whatever he cooked growing up is what he's still cooking now like me i sort of expanded everything so like whatever i mean we were i was raised especially with him cooking on like southern dishes like or just good home food you know like mac and cheese grilled chicken you know just all like good earthy meals and then when i sort of took it over especially with my travels I opened up to everything, whether it be Italian, whether it be obviously desserts. I mean, I love desserts as well, but like just, I opened it up to everything. So like I cook just about everything and anything. And every time I travel, I always take a cooking class. So I learn and I'll figure it out that way. But I sort of expanded everything. And he, when he comes over, I'll cook those type of dishes for him. But most of the time he's cooking the same. When he cooks, it's the grilled chicken, it's the beans, it's the, you know, I'm gonna go to sleep after it because I'm gonna be full. So it's those type of meals that he's cooked, but he sticks with it. What he knows is what he knows. Right now, Brett, if you could pick a dish to make, if you were making something tonight, or what are you making tonight? Like, what would you pick right now? What are you into? For the game, actually, tonight, Suns are winning in seven, just to get that out there. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> um, but uh, for tonight, I actually have some friends and family coming over, and I'm going to make, it's like this special dip that we make, and it's like a meat-based queso dip, but it is amazing and see most of these recipes like i can't tell you the recipe because you know if they're family recipes you got you know oh, you have to kill me you have to kill me i can't keep the recipes out but all the other recipes you know those will come out eventually but yeah man i'm making a, a family dip tonight and we're gonna watch the game and hopefully the sons are not sort of lose this game so fingers we'll crossed man <laughs> yeah. so you mentioned you would never want to be a chef but you've taken cooking classes would you ever brett post football want to do like a culinary school or anything like that to learn the art or do you like doing it your own way i i've been figuring this out i was actually just talking to colby chandler about this too and because the thing about cooking it's almost like going to school to learn how to paint but like in a sense of like sometimes going to school will steer you in a direction that isn't as creative as if you're just doing it by yourself. You know, going to school for a purpose, especially cooking, like if I go take, you know, a cooking class in Italy or or a culinary school in Italy, like 
they're going to teach me specific to how Italian standards are. Same out here in America. And the hard part I'm trying to gauge is like losing just the homegrown, like creative side to like my cooking versus going to a culinary school where I would love to learn the real like techniques, which I, I, I've really thought about it. The only thing that's really holding me back is I really don't feel like paying no $25,000 for yeah. culinary school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Especially exactly. if I'm not going to be a chef. Like, and I'd rather just be a home cook. So like that is the biggest one. But like, I do also like the fact of, I'm thinking of maybe just going to like short term classes and like just learning the techniques of like different things rather than the, the approach of how, or like the thought process. Like I want to learn like what pairs good with this, but also I just don't want to lose my creative side and like how I cook and how I even taste dishes, even my palate. Like I want to be able to know the differences of all these foods, but like, I just don't want to be stuck like everybody else once you go through culinary school and then you sort of become like you're trained to think that this one way when there's it's it's like an art. Cooking is like an art, you know, to each his own. Good answer. Brett, with every interview I do and guests have been athletes like yourself, entrepreneurs, executives, all the above. There's a few standard questions I ask. One of them is how you start your day. And some are completely OCD like myself. Uh, it's very regimented. Some yeah. are the complete opposite. It's a hot mess and everyone figures it out at the end. But Brett, yourself, how do you normally start your day off? I'm a huge fan of starting off. I'm an early bird person. So like I will probably wake up around five o'clock, like whether that's an alarm or not, or whether I'm out and I'm still going to wake up at five when that sun's coming up. Just my body is it's just how I'm raised. So like I'm a very early person, always have been. And when I like waking up, first thing I do is probably brush my teeth and then my self-talk. Huge in self-talk and the psychology behind it. So I'll usually knock that out. I'll do a little bit of reading. I have these two books. One is by Oso and then The Daily Stoic, which is another one. I sort of just daily readings than any other readings or, my, or journaling. Usually I'll start off the day with that. And then from there, once that's done, I go work out. So whether that's running, jump roping, depends on the time of year. Like right now, I'll probably jump roping or go throw like today today woke up did a jump rope session then went to go throw and then came back and did an ab session so like it's probably like a good two or two and a half hours of working out what's it when you say a jump rope session what does that mean i mean for me that's like five hops i'm done well this is not for you i'm sure <laughs> no yeah for, this is like a 35 minute full go jumping oh. different yeah oh. i mean yeah, it's, it's a burner. Yeah, it's a, it's a burner. It'll be something like that. And then I'll go throw like I did today for an hour and a half or something like that with some players and receivers. And then, like I said, I'll come back and hit an ab session and then I'll take a shower and then get to work. And if it doesn't do that, then I, if I don't hit like something like that, I'll do like a workout. So I'll do like in the gym stuff. If I'm not out on the field in the morning, I'm a huge runner. So like usually if I'm jump roping or running, so it's either but most of the time I'm a run. So I'll probably go on a two or three mile jog and then come back and then hit weights. And then in the nighttime, I'm also a huge yoga person and yoga fan, hot yoga, hot yoga. Yep. So I'll yep. do, I'll do hot yoga at night usually just before I sort of go to bed at like seven thirty. So, but there's usually like three workouts a day type thing. Wow. Love it. You mentioned running. I read in an article, this is I think a year and a half ago on the Cronkite news that your dad when you were a kid would wake up four or five in the morning and get you to go run with him. Number one, is that true? And two, you know, what age are you, how far are you running with your dad? And by the way, your dad 
Vicki Lettered at University of Arizona. You mentioned your Uncle Albert at the beginning of the conversation. He was a stud wide receiver at Wichita State. So there's a little blood in the family. But I want to talk about the running and that early morning because I think it may have been ingrained by your dad. Yeah, that really sort of set the tone for me as growing up and as a child, especially in high school, man. Like I cannot tell you how much that paid dividends to like me just doing the stuff I did in high school. Like, I mean, I mean, all the stuff I did, I sort of really account to running one because like growing up, uh, I used to get up really early in the morning. And uh, as a child, I mean, this is when I'm like barely riding a bike before I was riding a bike. I would sort of just like come out because I'd wake up hearing him or something like that. And be a child and freaking try to play with him or something like that and eventually it got to me like he would start jogging and he bought me one of them like mopeds because yeah. <laughs> I, w- I wouldn't run i really i knew i couldn't keep up with them and so i started riding the mopeds by him every morning and so while he would run for like three miles I-, I would just be on a moped sort of just by him like going along and then when i learned how to ride a bike it turned into me riding a bike and so i would ride my bike next to him and then as i got older right before maybe high school I tried jogging and I couldn't finish the whole thing. So like I always had to exit like halfway through it. I would get like a mile, a mile and a half. And then I would exit. I had this like little path. It was like this, we had this wall on our side of our apartments because we jogged the canals when I was that little. And like, it was this wall that was broken down. So at this point at the every jog, we would jog Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, I would just exit. And then I would walk back to the apartment and then he would finish the jog and I'd meet him back there. And then early in the high school, freshman year, I started completing the jogs with them. And then as I started completing the jogs, then it turned into me like trying to beat them as yeah. like my sophomore, junior, and then senior. And then, I mean, by the end of it, like going out of high school, like we jog Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and it would be like three miles, two and a half Monday, three miles, Tuesday, two and a half, three miles. But the Friday ones would be like three miles, but like a little bit less pace. But like on those Tuesday and Thursdays, like there was this one stretch at the end after like two or three miles and it was like straight shot back to the house. And once you're done, like it's stop signs right there. And like, man, we would be competing on that. Like, I mean, we, we would be jogging and then that last, that last stretch, man, it was a good, it probably was a good, like half a mile. And we oh. would just be, I mean, at first he used to just kick my ass. I mean, you know, yeah, excuse right. the legs, but he would just beat no, me down. And then after a while, I started like keeping up with them. And then sooner or later, man, like I was gone Golden. and Golden. he wasn't able to catch me, man. So it was just like a steady progression. And honestly, man, like I said, that helped me one develop physically, but two, like the mental aspect of it, we would talk on our jogs, but a lot of it was, and you know, I'm so thankful for it. A lot of it was like a mental part of it. Like joggers, like, like I always love when I'm jogging and I get in, like, it's like a zone you get in when you're jogging where you really don't think about how tired you are anymore it's just like a feeling and it's almost like a euphoric feeling it's like a jogger's high i guess they call it and where you're not you i mean you literally don't even worry about how tired you are like you're just running and you're on like cruise control and like in those moments you can like really like think about a lot of things so like that was almost like my morning routine where i would go and like whatever was on my mind whatever we would talk about like we would just talk and then i would just sort of go into my own space in my own zone and just figure out things or try to to the best of my abilities but like those jogs helped so much growing up so it is literally grown into now i mean even when i'm training nowadays especially for the league like when i start and stuff like that sometimes i'll go to the house and i'll stay there for you know his house i'll stay there for a week and just jog with them in the morning and that's sort of how i learned how to do it and you know we'd always do push-ups and sit-ups like 100 push-ups 100 sit-ups and stretching and then go jog but 
I still to this day, like the one thing, if I know I need to get in shape, I'm running. Well, you know, what's what's neat, Brett, when you're saying the story, man, it's with a smile on your face. So I can tell, I mean, you also have a good time with your dad, right? Like you look back and you've had all these years and you can see the progression. Then you finally beat your dad that first time. And that's something you can't replace on top of the fact that you're saying, you know, that running is like therapy for you. And I've seen you and your travels and the things that you've done outside of football, you're going on jogs in some epic places, which is awesome. Yeah, dude. And it, it's been, I mean, I remember one time I went jogging in Ultra Rios, Jamaica. I mean, you've seen movies where like people are sort of jogging and then like the kids sort of jog with them. But like, it was like real life. Like I was just jogging in Ultra Rios. We went out there and like kid was jogging with me and I had my GoPro and I just filmed it. And like, it was like experiences like that. It's just, you know, I'm sure we'll discuss traveling here in a bit, but like that is something that you can't buy. You know, it's just, just a really cool experience. I was literally just jogging. I had a kid jogging with me or a good mile of the, of the stretch. And it's it just awesome. I'll, something I'll never forget, you know? Love it. Football. We got to talk about a little bit of football here. Got to. Got so, to. Chandler, Arizona, hot. Chandler High School, go Wolves. I bring up a story of adversity for you, at least one that I read. When you finally got to varsity, Brett, that first game, you got bumped from quarterback to wide receiver. And number one, is that true? Number two, if it is, We've already talked about the support you have, family and friends behind you. I'm sure they were there. But also, you being a competitor, you had to be fucking pissed. And so I just want to take the listeners back there. Like, you're young. You're a quarterback. You're a rock star. You know you're going to be a rock star. And then you get bumped. What was that like? But I want you to tell the listeners what you learned from that also. Yeah. I mean, people see where I'm at now, and they're like, wow, like his story is awesome. He made it. But, like, they don't know, like, the depths that it took. And, like, I mean – nights where I'd be breaking down crying because of this stuff, you know, like they don't, people don't know that. And I, this is, you know, obviously why we're talking, but I mean, I like to say I busted my ass in high school, just running with my dad, trying to do everything right. You know, trying to be a quarterback. And I played freshman played quarterback and damn near was actually about to lose that damn spot as a freshman, but other quarterback I was competing against, he was a really good receiver. So they put him at receiver and allowed me to play quarterback. Cool. He had a great freshman year. Then I played, I went to JV the next year and, played throughout the JV season we went undefeated and it like had a great season. So then the end of that season, they can, you know, bump you up to varsity because varsity is still playing. And so at that point they had said, all right, come up to varsity and we'll use you sort of just as like a running quarterback, running gun type of quarterback. So I came up to varsity and played for the remaining of the games in the playoffs. I did pretty well, you know, I'll, I'll just run around and just doing what I do. And then the next year going into my, this is, I mean, this is my junior year. So, you know, you're like, all right, if I'm going to start on varsity, this is the year. And there was a quarterback named Kyle Yant. Love him to death. Still talk to him. And Kyle Yant had been there, was the starter the previous year and was going into his senior year. And we had battled the whole offseason. I mean, I was thought I was doing everything right and literally did not win the job. And they gave it to Kyle and they put me at receiver. And so literally the first game, like I'm lining up as a freaking Z receiver. And I remember, man, like just talking having those talks with my dad and like literally i mean we were on the verge of transferring i mean these just were not good moments uh especially when you work so hard at something and i mean those are the moments where like i said like i especially as growing up like i guess those are the first times that you really have no idea how to handle that type of stuff until you're in it man i, I just remember that you know crying especially when i didn't get the job and just feeling defeated but you know i, I said screw it i'm gonna me and my dad talk and i said whatever you know i'll, I'll write it out and we'll make the most of it and so I got put at receiver and yeah, I was lining up running receiver routes, man, for the first 
two games of my junior year. And the crazy thing about this too is to backtrack a little bit before, like going into my junior year, I went to Colorado. I mean, I didn't do any quarterback camps, never had quarterback coaching growing up, nothing. So I was just a raw talent pretty much. And then I went to Colorado because my dad, you know, my family's all from Colorado and it was just a, like a full blown contact camp, but usually teams go and then like individuals go. So I just went as an individual. I was like, screw it. I'm gonna go out there. And I had a great camp. Like it was all contact. I was just out there slinging it, having fun and got a full ride scholarship from Colorado. Oh, just for the first one. <laughs> nice. but, I, I, but I didn't get the starting job at my school. So I'm like, well, what the freak is the problem? Like, where am I going wrong? You go to Colorado to get a full ride scholarship. I go to Colorado to just get a hangover. That's it. Man. Yeah, I know. So, yeah, yeah, 100%. That's the difference right there. Hundred percent. But man, so, that made it like so much more like harder because I'm like, man, I know I'm not crazy. I know I got to be good at least. But that one just hurt. And then so it wasn't until the third game of my junior season we were getting blown out by uh, I want to say it was Chaparral High School. I forgot what the school. Chaparral Centennial. Centennial, Centennial High. Yeah, we were getting destroyed. It was like 36, 37 to seven at the, and the seven points came from like a trick pass where they like threw me the ball as a receiver. And then I threw it to another receiver down the field. So it was like a trick play that scored a touchdown. And then at halftime, they were like, screw it, Brett, we'll put you in for the remaining of the game and we'll just see what happens. And we did not win the game, but we scored like 20 some point, 20, 30 points that half the remain the last half of the game. And then from there, like, Coach was like, all right, well, we're going to keep you at quarterback. And literally, like, I, I played the rest of the year and, like, had a great year, man. Like, a great year. Made the freaking, you know, Arizona, won the Gatorade player of the year. Or, like, it was crazy. I mean, and literally, I didn't start until my freaking third game. Of, I was at receiver, literally. <laughs> so that year, like, really took off once I got the starting job officially after the third game. So it was the fourth game into the season. And then from there, senior year came along and yeah, man, like did that. So that one really hurt because it's crazy. You get, you get in these opportunities. Life can be completely different dependent on the decisions you make. So like for me in that example, like I could have, which I did, I stayed at Chandler, but like I was sitting there like, man, I know I can play. Like, let me go to some other school and just show, you know, but like I said, screw it. I'm gonna stay here. But like, let's say I would have went to another school. I don't know if I, I, well, I, I for sure wouldn't be in the same position I'm in now. It would be in a different route. Hopefully I would still have made it. But like there are certain decisions, especially in the face of adversity that you make that will really dictate how the course of your life plays out, you know, and it's all decision based on like how you react to adversity. You know, I could have really like just got internal and like broke down. You know, I think confidence is one thing, especially as a player or anybody in these situations where like sometimes when you don't get what you work for, like people will literally lose confidence in themselves and really have that self-doubt understanding like the fact. And that's why I'm huge on self-talk, even though I wasn't doing it back then, but now just because it translates and helped me out in my later years, that confidence and like maintaining that confidence and knowing that you're worth more than maybe what you think the situation is given right now is like one thing that honestly, like I was so hell bent on, like I wasn't gonna, wasn't no way I was going to lose. Like I worked too hard to get to that point. So you know, especially that was like the first hit that I took in high school because everything other than that was just popcorn and having fun, honestly. Well, it's a good segue, Brett, because that then takes you to UCLA. And I know you redshirted your first year. Yeah. And you mentioned tears of sadness in high school. The story I'm bringing up are tears of joy. And that's in 2012 when Neil Mazzoni, then the offensive coordinator, 
yeah. Jim Moore, our head coach, said, Brett, you're going to be the starter. And your dad, this is another article I saw, said UCLA Bruin, the Daily Bruin, you cried for like five, ten minutes. I would do the same thing. But man. can you take the listeners to that point? I don't want to make you cry again, man. You're looking down man, on me. I'm, I'm telling you, man, yeah, I, that was a moment I'll always remember. That point, I mean, you hit this pinnacle. I mean, UCLA, not just the tradition, but on top of that, at that point, 2012, it had been 50 years, 50 years since a black quarterback had started for UCLA. Jackie Robinson, baby. Yeah, Jackie Robinson, the great baseball player. You throw that on top of the work that you put in and playing for this elite program, you get the nod. Can you tell me about that day they said you're the starting quarterback for UCLA football? Man, that one was hit so much deeper than even high school because, for example, when I redshirted, I had no intention. I mean, I, I came out as a high prospect in high school. I was My shit didn't stink. I was riding high. <laughs> and then, you know, like, and then to compete – in college, and my head was spinning. Like, I had no idea what was going on. I was just raw talent, like I said. And then not to get the job. Like, I remember the day I, I was told I was going to redshirt. And boy, was I in a slump. Like, crying again. Like, just not. Because, like, your whole life, especially then, was predicated on football. Like, that was my one ticket out and to make it. And, like, that's all I knew at the time was football. Nothing else really mattered to me. So then to get to redshirt... And then to come back and the same quarterbacks we played are the ones you're competing against. It was Kevin Prince and Richard Brijo, who were senior quarterbacks that I was competing against. And those were the quarterbacks the year prior to as well, which is why I redshirted. And with the new staff that came in, Mazzoni, who I love to death, is still, I mean, I was just talking to him last, a couple days ago, actually, and his whole family. But to have an offense, especially like that was brought, I mean, spread offense, I was like, perfect. And I remember that training camp, man. We would have double days, and this is in San Bernardino where, like, I mean, Arizona's hot, San Bernardino's just as hot. Like, it's, yeah, it's, hot. And yeah. it's hot as hell out there. And so we would, we would have double days, man. And I remember I literally would wake up and I would listen to, like, sort of like an inspirational speech in the morning. I would listen to that and I would just have it on repeat. I would get my water. I would throw some fruit in there, just have some, like, good stuff to drink. And then I'll go to practice. And then usually after practice, especially on a double day, everybody would go to sleep wake up and then go to another practice. My ass didn't even go to sleep. Like I'd go back, get on the whiteboard, go over my playbook. I was grinding so hard for that damn position. And then I remember the day, man, like they called us all three in and like Mazzoni was like, hey, you know, well, we got to make a decision and we're deciding to give Brett the, the starting job. And like I said, I'm young, a retro freshman and dude, like everything that I had really ever worked for, like was finally like coming to fruition in that moment. And man, I cried my ass off. Literally called my dad, called my mom, just so overjoyed. But then after that moment, you got to go to practice as yeah. a starting quarterback. Yeah. Now. And then, you have, right. and then like from there, you have to learn what it's like to be a starting quarterback. And me being a retro freshman, you know, UCLA, had not been good in the past. There was so much to learn, especially like me coming from Arizona. I was not at all used to LA market. I mean, or LA in general. Like, I, I mean, I was just, just completely different places. It was like a whirlwind of learning and getting through things. And I mean, it was one of the greatest moments I remember. But man, did that really kick things off for me? Right. And that, you know, the first snap, I remember watching the game actually against Rice when you took that thing up on the right side. Crazy. First snap ever. It's crazy. I mean, you couldn't write it any better than that. 
I remember talking to Jay Frank, Jonathan Franklin, and I told him because it was a freaking, it, we called it Zorro, it was just Zone Read. And I said, look, man, this is my first play ever. I'm just going to give you the fucking ball. You take it. And you go. <laughs> I told him, I said, I don't care if the defensive end crashes. Like, that's my read. I said, man, you know, I'm nervous. Just take the ball and, like, let's just play football. I'll get into it later and you just help me out now. And I literally told him that the whole week leading up to it, I said, I'm just giving you the ball, dude. And then when I say hike, man, I did in crash. And like, it was like yeah. instinct. I was like, right, I got to pull it and see where this goes. And dude, like, I cannot like describe like to go like <laughs> 70, 80 yards, your first play ever in college. I mean, you, yeah, you really can't write a better story than that. Then the play, the next play was like a 40, 50 yard pass completed to Joseph Fourier. And then like two plays later was a touchdown pass. So like, the whole start to everything, man. I was ecstatic. I was like, man, if this is what college is going to be like, yeah. I'm, I'm loving it, man. <laughs> you got it. I'm dialed. loving it. Yeah. I'm I like, I, it. I, I don't know what it is, but I got it. I'm ready. So, man, it was like the coolest start and just helped me a lot. Just everything starting. But yeah, that moment, man, I, I, that was crazy. I would, you know, to run 80 yards for a touchdown. I mean, your first play ever. It's crazy. It's unbelievable. I mean, moment to moment. So you you go through, you get drafted by the Packers, and I'm going to share some fun stats with you. You may already know some of this, but here's some stats I found. And this was a study done three months ago, 2021. There are just over a million high school football players in the United States today. It's a million six thousand. Seven point three percent of those high school players play NCAA football. So call that seventy-three thousand of the million, right? Out of a million. So on average, just sixty-five hundred of those seventy-three thousand NCAA football players are scouted by the NFL. Just three hundred and fifty of those sixty-five hundred are invited to the NFL Combine, and two hundred and fifty-six of those three hundred and fifty are actually drafted. That is 0.0002% that you actually get drafted. And I couldn't dig in any more on what the quarterback numbers would be. It's going to be even more zeros on top of that. But when you hear that, Brett, how does that make you feel? I mean, that's an unbelievable. If anyone's 0.000 anything in their industry, they are unbelievable. I mean, I want to say I've heard that. No, I've never like heard the actual stats of that and like, it's crazy to, I'm just honestly, like, I'm so thankful and it makes me so much more grateful for even like where I'm at now. You know what I'm saying? Like how far I be, I mean, I mean, I'm going into year seven in the league to even think of how long seven years is in the NFL and making it seven years when the average is like, so you got to go through all those statistics to be like the point zero 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 two, but then getting to that, the average in the league is only two point something years before your pension right. is. And that's average. So like, to make it to seven, I'm like sitting here like, damn, I would love to know that statistic. And especially as a quarterback, like there's only two a team. Right. It's not like receivers or any other position like where there's multiple. You got to have people roll. Like there's one, two quarterbacks every team. I would love to hear the stats on that. But like, man, I, it just makes me so much more grateful. It's something great to hear, especially for myself, just because like, honestly, man, when I, when I sit there and I think of that, you could say, like, honestly, when people look at my career, like, I made it. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. that is the pinnacle of, you know, obviously when the Super Bowl is nice. But, like, I made it. And I did something that I said I would do, and I accomplished what I said I was going to do. Just hearing all that, I mean, you got to I mean, a million-some kids, and it's zero down to maybe two. And then if you think of quarterbacks, maybe 10, 15, sure. you know? Yeah. It's like, man, like, that is – and then to make it 70, like, dude, those – statistics are so crazy to me so like it just makes me so thankful man honestly it, re it really does 
Last football moment here, and we're going to get on more in the conversation. October 15th, 2017, Aaron Rodgers, Packers, hurts his oh, collarbone. Yeah. And Mike McCarthy says, Hunley, get in there. I can't imagine. You know, we've taken you through Chandler High School, UCLA, nerves, hitting these milestones. You actually get the nod from Coach McCarthy to go in for the Packers, the Green Bay Packers. What's going on inside you at that point? Shitting bricks. <laughs> Shitting I love bricks. it. Right? Shitting, yeah. Shitting bricks. I, I, it's funny, too, because, I mean, I had great preseasons for the Packers, but I never played during the season. Never got any reps with first team. Nothing. So, like, you're expecting, like, once you get in a rhythm of that, you're like, all right, I'm back up. Aaron's going to do his thing the whole year. Yada, yada. Same like the Russell Wilsons of the world. Aaron don't come out. He don't give up no reps. Whatever. You know, you get in the rhythm. <laughs> Yep. And then when you see him, like, when you're looking and, like, I forgot what happened that play, and you're looking down the field, and then you sort of hear, like, oh, from the crowd, and you look back, and I'm like, man, he looks familiar. I'm like, is that, is that Aaron? And I'm like, oh, you know, <laughs> you're, you're sitting there thinking, like, man, damn, where's Aaron? God damn, like, he's down, and, you know, I hope he's all right. Yeah. And then you're like, man, yeah, okay, well, what happens next? And then, uh, <laughs> and then like, everybody, the whole stadium, like, just looks, zones in on you, and you're like, yeah. Oh, this is happening. You know, this, oh, this, this is happening. Because we're playing the Minnesota Vikings, who are one, it's like all my teammates in UCLA, Eric Hendricks, Anthony Barr, Dayton Jones, I think was on the team. These are all the teammates that play with the UCLA, and they're like the top three defense in the league. Right. So I'm like, well, shit. Let's see, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I grabbed my helmet, man, and I just remember first pass. I remember it was a rub play. It was for we had man coverage one side. It was third down, man coverage one side, and zone the other side. And we had motioned. They were showing man, and it was Xavier Rhodes, and it was a pick play. So our point receiver was supposed to pick for the motioning receiver, and Xavier Rhodes read it. It was a little behind the our receiver, and he like tipped it, and then Eric Kendricks or somebody picked it. So like. First play of freaking yeah. NFL, you know, my NFL throw action. I'm like, all right, you know, got to get this right. Pick. <laughs> um, and, then, and, then, and then, dude, I just remember that game, man. That was such a whirlwind. And I'm like, sure. Blur. So much, man. Like, I mean, I, my mind was going a million miles an hour. And then I think the second throw, first throw was a pick. Second throw was a touchdown that game. Devontae Adams. And so it's like these high lows. And then... Then when you sort of get in the rhythm of the game and still, I think as a quarterback, like once you learn how to like distance your emotions and like how heightened they can get to like just being on kill, like a Tom Brady, Dan Rogers, for example, where like nothing phases them. That's when you really start becoming like a really good quarterback. And I think obviously like that game, I think I had like three, I think I threw three picks, had a touchdown, but just dude, whirlwind. And I'm sure. so I'm on, yeah, dude, on the bus and I'm like sitting there like, damn, man, that was that was a game. Well, you know, you guys, all right, well, you know, look forward to next week. Aaron, you know, I hope you're good. And then, you know, the news comes out like, well, it, his collarbone's gone. So he's out for maybe the remainder of the season. And I'm like, right. shit, man, we, we have. Right. Oh, shit. <laughs> like, uh, we, have, we have a good amount of season left. Yeah. And, dude, I, once it all hits, it's so different because, like, this is Aaron Rodgers. And then you come in and, you know, it's like, Hey, you know, you guys, all right, I'm here. I'm you know, it's not, yeah, I'm Brett. Brett you know, over I'm here. here. Yeah. yeah, you guys, you know, you guys know me in the preseason, but right. yeah, let's rock. And so just, dude, like that whole dynamic that year was like crazy, but like 
such a good year for growth, man. Like, man, that shit was wild. But it was fun. But man, it was just so much like that was thrown at at you in such a short amount of time to get prepared for it. It was a lot. Thanks for sharing, Brett. I'm going to switch gears a little bit. You and I have something in common, and I'm not talking about our strength, good looks, and NFL athletic (laughs) ability, but your older sister, Paris, and my older sister, Shannon, and actually my nephew, Wyatt, have epilepsy. And I believe your sister was diagnosed when she was 11 years old. My sister was diagnosed before I was born. She's older. I've been a big advocate for epilepsy for years, and I know you and your sister started the Brett Hundley Foundation in 2019. And I would love for you, Brett, to tell the listeners a little bit about the foundation. I got to meet at an event with you, actually, Rick Harrison of Pawn Stars. I think there's a lot of people centered around this and epilepsy, but would love for you to tell the listeners about that, that passion, your sister and the foundation itself. Man, it's crazy. It's sort of weird how like life just aligns things in commonalities. Like, So growing up, especially us with all this football stuff, but you know, I remember the day walking in, my sister was on the ground and I was like 10 years old. I didn't know what the hell was happening. And that was when she had her first seizure and life sort of stopped. And so we, she got diagnosed with epilepsy. We were trying to battle that, but like had no idea. I mean, there was not one person we knew of that had epilepsy. I mean, there wasn't a family, a friend, nothing we'd ever knew about was anything directly related to epilepsy. So we were, you know, as a family trying to figure this out and, you know, it's not like it just happened once, like it continued to happen after this. And so figuring that out, learning what causes her seizures, learning, trying to help that. And even learning, you know, when she has them, how to deal with them, just so much stuff that goes into someone, you know, especially a loved one having epilepsy and growing up with that, And there was just, you know, nobody really that we ever knew about. And then it was crazy. When I got the starting job at UCLA, there was a reporter, I forgot his name, but I literally, I think he just touched on my sister. And I was like, yeah, me and my sister are really close. She has epilepsy. And that's something that I've never really shared with anybody. Like I never until that moment has shared anything with dealing with my sister. Only the people back home in Arizona and my, you know, family and friends knew anything about it. I'm going to interrupt you for a second. Do you think you didn't share because it was, it was an embarrassment? Was it, you didn't know what was going on? Why weren't you sharing at that moment? And then you get back to your story, but. It's really because like one, you're afraid, you're afraid of how people like perceive epilepsy who don't have no idea about it. You're afraid of what you've seen from like friends and like kids, you know, pick on your sister when, because she has epilepsy. Now you're afraid of like so much because you don't know any better. And all we saw growing up was, I had to watch my sister stop running track because getting on medicine, you know, I had to watch her dislocate multiple shoulders all the time. And like the amount of stress that was on her, I didn't want to create any more stress from like people having to like think of her any differently than what, you know, who she is and what she is. And I think that timidness in me and like just being afraid for her and also just, you could call it an insecurity. You know, there was things that created deep wounds as a child growing up seeing my sister go through that that i was really afraid of you know and so i didn't want to create any that was something that was like some hidden down that i just never wanted to open and whether it be from my own pain or to cause any other pain for my sister and so but it was random man i and this guy i sort of trusted him but i just randomly threw it out there man i was like yeah you know i some i, I told him i said this is something i never discussed but 
I guess for people to learn more about me and my story and who I am, like, I mean, I am who I am. I grew up, went to Channel High School, but like, you know, me and my sister, my sister's been fighting this battle of epilepsy. And I sort of just said it because I still didn't really know everything about it. So she's been growing up with it and we've sort of just been trying to monitor it as a family and like figure this out as we go and like talk to doctors. And we just don't know anybody who has it and never really met anybody else. So it's always been an internal thing within our family. And from that story, I mean, at that time, I just sort of gotten a job for UCLA and it got out and the story got pretty big online and it got out to the Epilepsy Foundation of Greater Los Angeles, which is how I met Shannon, Andy, all those guys. But like, that's how it first started. Then we finally, like people started reaching out to us out of nowhere. Then we were like, shit, man, this isn't something that not just like a couple people have, like there's a community for this. And that was the first time we actually felt like welcomed and like open to start sharing our story. And when we met with the foundation of greater Los Angeles, we started talking to them and I had Paris come out and, you know, at first we're so shy to like even put our story out there. And then over time we created the connection. And then now it's like, Hey Paris, like people want to hear, you know, then Paris has to transition from like living her whole life with the internal battle of it to like actually now wanting to share it because people want to hear your story and, and to know more about you. And so like that transition of feeling afraid to like actually putting it out in the light now was so liberating, I think, for our family, getting to meet these people and just get reach, people reaching out. The foundation was reaching out, and that was the first time we actually felt welcomed and a part of something that was more than just our internal battles. And Paris, I think that's the first time where she felt she wasn't alone in this fight. And I think from there, then, you know, it sort of grew. Then we just started doing the walks with them at the Rose Bowl. So it sort of worked hand-in-hand because the walks were at the Rose Bowl. And it sort of just grew, man. And then we started... You know, the National Foundation got attached with them. And man, it, it just continued to grow. And when I got to the Green Bay, we had sort of had things rolling. And then I uh, met Sam Estes, who was honestly like my bigger brother now. And he had this Athletes for Epilepsy thing going on, which I became a part of. And then my sister sort of joined. And then after that, man, we sort of, the one thing that me and my parents always talked about, and this is how our foundation even started is because we remembered the times when we had nobody. It was the times when we didn't want to share our stories and when we didn't know who to talk to. And so I I brought up the idea. I was like, man, like, let's start a foundation. And that's how sort of this whole thing started. And the base of it came out of epilepsy and allowing people the connection, allowing people to be heard and listened to, and then creating that community aspect. So we started the Hunley Foundation first and, Man, from there, it's been running. You know, Sam is the co-chair, Sam Estes, who, again, is like a brother of mine. And then Shannon, having Andy, all these guys become a part of it. Rick Harrison, you know, came over from the foundation. We just hired our CEO, Danielle, and we just hired Suzanne in Arizona. So, like, that, literally, it was just, like, all these people. And it was at the perfect timing, too. Like, everybody, just, like, from the foundation, national side to our connections, literally sort of just timed out perfectly with us creating the foundation and man, honestly, it's been growing from there. And so I'm just so thankful that now we, my sister has a platform to stand on. I have a platform to stand on with the foundation. And the one thing that I always said is like our foundation was built on epilepsy, but like our mission statement is to help children and families needs. So we kept it broad enough to help out communities that, or anything that we really, you know, whether 
it has to do with autism, whether because my nephew, Elijah, Paris's son, has autism. So we wanted to start a foundation that was based in epilepsy. This is the reason why we started it, but also had the ability to help out other communities or other places where we see fit. And, you know, whether that's giving back to the Phoenix Children's Hospital, which we donated like 20,000 pounds of salmon, or, you know, giving back to the Detroit community, the police department, you know, it's like wherever we see fit as a foundation, we really just want to help out. But the base of it all was started from epilepsy. And that's where, you know, our base still is. So it's just been a whirlwind. And it's been awesome to see how everything collides. But like, from where we were at to where we're at now, man, just thankful, man, and, and really happy that, the, you know, the Hunley Foundation is up and running and we're doing good in the community and wherever, you know, we see fit. And just to see, even see all the people that we've connected with already. I mean, I go to these events and I really don't care if there's 20 or a thousand people, you know, at these walks or whatever events we do, because it's really about like the connection that I've made and Paris has made with everybody. I mean, you see people in the same position that we were in as a family when Paris just first started having her seizures. And now to be able to connect with them and say, hey, like, you know, don't look at me as some football player who's just high and almighty. Like I've been where you're at. You know, I know what you're going through. So like, let's become a part of this community. And like, I think they have, they feel heard and they feel like they're a part of something now. And I think that's the biggest thing for our foundation. And that's why I do see, you know, we've done some huge and amazing strides thus far, but that's really how it got going. So I'm just so thankful for it. It's great, Brad. I mean, obviously I'm a big advocate because of my sister as well. And I'm really happy to see the Hunley Foundation going. I can't wait to see what's in store for the next few years. Yeah, man, it'll be fun. I'm excited too. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to switch gears a little bit again into a subject that might not come up a lot with you, Brett. Young, healthy NFL football quarterback. So outside looking in, you're doing pretty damn good, right? Yeah, man. But what I want to bring up is the transition from NFL to life after NFL. This doesn't come up a lot in interviews. You see ESPN no. Sports Center. It's about the sport. Once that guy or, or woman has retired, they're gone unless you're, you know, a Tom Brady, whatever it is. And I want to bring up that transition, you know, I know you're a traveler, you're a photographer, but have you thought about that transition already, Brett, and what that looks like for you after football? Yeah, it's, it's crazy because, like I said, I'm going in seven years in the league. And once you get to year seven, eight, nine, ten, like even on 28, like I'm an old man in the NFL. Like, I'm, well, I'm unless a, you're Tom like, Brady. Tom Brady. That's what I'm saying. Tom, <laughs> Brady's, Tom Brady's Yoda. Yeah, Tom, Tom Brady yeah. is like, Tom Brady's Yoda. Like, yeah, this is Tom go. Brady and like, I'm, I'm just an old man. Yeah. Yeah, right. Like, those guys are like different scales. But like, being the average that is 2.8, once you get to seven or eight, you're like, all right, man, like, this is, I'm playing for a while now. But it's been fun. But like, it's, it hasn't been until these recent, like, last, later years, like last year, the year before where I really had to start thinking about like what's next. And because you're so focused on football, especially in your first year is trying to get the hang of it. And then once you sort of get the hang of it and understand what you need to do, what you got to do, you start realizing that like football is not going to last forever. And you also understand the fact that like when I watched 30 for 30 broke like that scared the shit yeah. out of me. Yeah. Like scared, scared me to death. Cause I, you know, one thing I do never want to do is go back to like living broke. You know, I just, I want to know that I'm secured. You know, I'm not a fan of working. Like, I don't want us to be on a computer desk all day. I got to be doing something that I love doing in a passion. So, like, developing my passions and then also figuring out how maybe those passions can help me transition out has been, like, my whole goal, especially in off-seasons. And honestly, it's sort of, like, paved its way by itself from, like, the cooking to, like, figuring out really what my passions are and figuring out that they're traveling, 
my mom's five tennis, so I got that bug from her cooking. You know, my dad cooked, so I got that bug from him. And the photography, which is sort of like what I took on myself. And those, like I developed into understanding, like those are my passions in life. And I love real estate. So that sort of took care of itself. And it's more so because I'm a numbers guy. Like I love numbers. I love all that. So, so putting all that stuff in, it's like fascinating to me. Nice. It's a working market. Yeah. I'm glad I brought up all those statistics then today. That's like, if, if anything, like that is how my mind works. But figuring all that stuff out, I think the problem is that a lot of people, athletes, especially, but like just people in general, like you get so focused, like when I was in high school, you know, you, you don't know anything else and you don't prepare for anything else until that something is gone or ripped away from you. And so for me, thankfully, I've had the opportunity to transition without having it ripped away from me where I'm sort of just like lost and not knowing what to do. But you got to think a lot of these athletes, myself, everybody, I mean, you're focused on one goal your whole life. Like there is absolutely nothing else other than football for me, like my whole life. And for most athletes, and then when it's gone, I mean, you might be 25, 26 years old, and then you're looking around like, man, all right, like I had a million dollars coming in, but like I don't have anything now, income. And so you really have to start to end. A lot of these players still try to live off the means that they were living off of when they were in the NFL. But then, I mean, people don't realize like that money goes so fast, especially when you have families asking and stuff like that. So like for me, that transition process has been going really well because I've been able to like transition into like getting into some real estate stuff, starting my own real estate companies, small things, you know, whether it be Airbnbs or flips and stuff like that, and having like a group almost put together. You know, my mom does interior designing, so it sort of works perfectly. My cousin's a realtor. So like it's sort of all aligned itself to where now I'm able to like sustain myself with real estate, but then also like everything else I want to do. So like my cooking has like started taking its own form of a company to where I'm getting paid to do stuff. And all this is like, in my passions that I'm able to keep, you know, and do as a means of living as well. And I think figuring that out through the transitioning of also being playing football as well, it's a fine line to understand the the difference and figure it out. But like, man, once you do, I think the quote or the meaning of like, if you really love something, money really isn't an issue. You know, you just love doing it. I think finding that out has been really the key for me because even without the money, like I would still play football, still freaking try to do some real estate. I would still try to travel and cook and do photography. Like, but now being able to transition and use like sort of the platform I already have into helping me transition into, you know, life after football, whenever that may come, it's just been an awesome journey. And I think that's something that I, I do, you know, especially looking back on all the young players. Now I try to help them out with to get started ahead of time. Cause I just got started like two years ago on this transition, mm-hmm. but like mm-hmm. thinking of the end when the beginning is starting, it's something that's really hard for most people. And so especially when it comes to sports, because you think, you know, you just got drafted or you're, you're going to be here forever. And nine times out of ten, you're not. So I think for these young guys is really trying to give back and help them out and, and to sort of open their mind on understanding that, like, find, one, finding your passions on what you want to do. And then, two, allowing yourself the ability to, like, step back from football and, like, open up you know, your mind to allow you to one, figure out your passions, then two, start figuring out like how you can use that to like live outside of football. You know, a lot of that stuff is really hard. And I mean, I, I could talk, look at, but I think those things, especially when it comes to like your identity, like those are the things that really matter because after football, man, there's so much more life to live. And thankfully I'm sort of, I sort of know it now because my, I'm probably towards the end of my career, but man, I'm telling you like 
that is so key for people in trying to transition out of any field and especially for athletes. And that's really the group of people I really like to talk about and refer to in this stuff. That's great to hear, Brett. That's inspirational. Yeah. And thank you for hearing that. that. So at the end of my shows, Brett, I like to wrap up with some fun kind of rapid fire questions. So if you're ready, let's let's do do it. Okay. First one is a walk-up song. Did you play baseball growing up too? No, I never. Basketball, football, and track. Okay, got it. Well, I'm giving you a baseball question. So Major League Baseball, whether you like it or not, here it comes. Major League (laughs) Baseball players, they walk up with a bat in their hand. There's usually a song playing. They have a walk-up song. So Brett Hundley's walking up to the plate. He's got a bat in his hand. What song is playing? Man, dude, that's a hard one because there's I love music, man. Something like I have to pick like a workout song that I'm listening to currently. Like it would have to be like like Migos, like Straightening. And it just released okay. a song maybe a lot a while ago, but it's called Straightening by Migos. Like I, I work out to that all the time now. So I get something that gets you juice. You know what I'm saying? I'm yeah, trying yeah, to hit yeah. a long run. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. Next question. What is one thing, Brett? you do not mind spending money on i've told people all the time i like to be cheap you know what i'm saying like i like i don't I like to cheap, go man. i'm a cheap ass I'm for sure I, i'm right there with you man i'm not yeah. i don't like spending money on like the clothes all that stuff like I, I don't need to do that you know but like the one thing i will always spend money on is experiences always uh-huh and it, it's not i don't care like when i travel it's it's not to stay in the nicest of places but like to pay money to like go on an experience or maybe like a forest trek or like to watch gorillas, like some type of experience that I've never done. I will always pay. Like it's worth every penny to me because you can get back money, but you can't get back the experience. That's true. That's a great answer. Okay. Next one. Favorite quote. I don't think I've said a quote yet on this show, but I usually do because I'm a quote geek. Uh, (laughs) Is there a quote or quotes, Brett, that stick with you either today or always that you can share with the listeners? One thing I grew up on, and my father told it to me, I'm not sure who the creator of it was, but he told it to me a long, a while back when I was a kid that I always kept. He said, do what you need to do to do what you want to do. And like that stuck with me forever. So like understanding the difference of like your wants and your needs and the things you need to do. So then you can do the things you want to do. That quote stuck with me forever. And I led to it. That's a good one. Next one. If you could choose a completely different position, and I'm going to take the legs out from under you. No football, no chef, no travel, no photography. I take that away. That's hard. What would Brett Hundley be doing? It's really hard. I always said, honestly, one thing I would, I wouldn't mind doing is I would love to play basketball. I would love to. I think I could be LeBron James in basketball. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you heard it here first. I'm, yes, it's a one-on-one I, game. You and LeBron. I may, not be as, I may not be as tall as him. Maybe I'll be a point guard. So maybe I'll be Steph Nash. Or or something like that. You know, somebody. I think I could do that in basketball. So I I, I, I would sure go for basketball. So I got to do some athletic, you know? LeBron, if you're listening, he just challenged you to a one-on-one game right there. I'd probably get destroyed, but it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Next one. If you were given a free 60-second ad during the Super Bowl, that's the biggest stage advertisement in the globe, what message would you send to the world? Dude, I love Super Bowl commercials because, like, they're funny. And they're always, like, there's always something funny about them. So, like, I would for sure have some type of funny message. Something referring to, like, just love, honestly. Like, that's the one thing. Like, I don't know if you can see it on the Black Mushroom. Yeah, I see it. But, yeah. but dude, like, one thing I always say to everybody, man, like, your energy, your spirit, you, like, who you are. Like, just be who you are and know who you are. Like, really find out who you are and, like, just 
love. You know, that's that is the bottom line to everything we do. And so it would have something in reference to that, but in a funny way. Like that. All right. Next one. If you were stranded on an island and could pick any celebrity with you, dead or alive, who's on that island with you? I would pick a celebrity who was alive, and that would have to be Will Smith. Oh, uh, dude, nice. Dude, honestly, I feel like I feel like we're like long lost brothers. You know, like I feel like <laughs> I feel like we have to be related somehow. And I just I, I don't know. I've always admired him. It's one person I've never like I'd never get crazy if I ever see somebody walking. I'm like, hey, what's up, man? I met Denzel Washington, but like Will Smith is one guy I've always, always wanted to meet. He's incredible. Man. He's done it all. That's what I'm saying. Like, I just feel like I'm there with him. Like, I'm conspiracy connected with him, you know? Like, it's my brother. He got to be something. So right now we'll say if LeBron James is listening, it's one-on-one. If Will Smith is listening, your best friend is on the podcast right now. Yeah, I'm I'm him. Yeah, I'm your best friend, man. You probably don't know me yet, but I am him. Uh, I love it. All right, last one, Brett. I call this my ultimate dinner question. This will be good for you given the uh, culinary topic we talked about. So you have this last dinner in front of you. What is on the plate or plates and what is in the glass if you want to have something in the glass next to you? Man, so I'd for sure have to have two glasses. I'd have to have my cab, some wine, sitting there. Is there a certain, I got to interrupt you. Is there a certain cab you're into right now? Man, I'm really getting into wines, but I have yet to settle in on like the wine right now. But I do love cabs. Uh, I've been running with those for a while now, but I would have my cab and then I would have my tequila. I would for sure. I'm a huge tequila fan. What bottle? Huge. What bottle? Even though this one, this is Michael Jordan's bottle, and people, you know, are somewhat iffy on it because it's there's like a sweeter tone to it, and there's like almost like hints of vanilla. But like Michael Jordan, Cincoto, like that Reposado. Oh, Oof. I love it. I love it. You go neat ice, just or I. So obviously, you know, in college, you know, you, you just drink tequila, you get drunk. Now I'm starting to progress in my You're tequila sophisticated. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like sophisticated drinker now. So I'm progressing to where like, give me a neat. You know what I'm saying? I don't need just let me sip slowly, and I'm not. You know, I mean, if I go out and still get drunk on tequila, great. But now I'm able to like sit down and like have tequila in a professional, neat, sophisticated way, you know, where I'm like sipping, I'm not just drinking to take a shot. And then I would say for my meal, it would probably have to be something Italian. Actually, you know what? I would say my meal would have to be, so there's this restaurant out here, it's called Binkley's and it's in Arizona. It's like, it's the five-star restaurant of Arizona. It's like a Michelin star. It's ridiculous. And I've had it one time only because I did a men who cook episode with them. So like, oh, I love it. it like blew my mind. It was like 20 courses. Have you ever seen those meals that come oh, out? And like, God. they look like this big. Like a it's golf like, ball. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, you know, and you're sitting there looking like, man, I would never order that. Like, that was right. like $400. I would never order that. But like, <laughs> I was like, all right, screw it. Let me, let me try this. Let me see how this experience is. And it's not that you just get one of those small things, but like, it was like 22 courses. Oh my God. And it was an experience. It was like, it took me through all parts of the world, different types of flavors, notes pairings that i've never even imagined i mean they had chicken yolk egg yolks that they fed these chickens paprika so it made their <laughs> they made it it made their their yolk red and then when they took the yolk out then they would mix it and make it like a cream based yolk and then they paired it with like some pig wild pig running around oh my in, God. in italy that ate acorns like it was the craziest experience i've ever experienced so like if i'm a go after one meal like that's gonna be the meal Binkley's, is that what you call it? Binkley's. Binkley's. Okay. Dude, it was the craziest, craziest restaurant I've ever <laughs> been to, but great. like an experience of a lifetime. 
Oh, I love that. Brett, this was an incredible hour and you will inspire a ton of people. I know it. your story is great. All the diversity you have. And I'm excited to see your future. Is there anything, Brett, you want to leave with the listeners? No, nah, man, I just want to say I hope you guys really appreciated my story. And, and thank you for having me on, brother. Seriously, like this is it's always a pleasure to come and just talk. And for people, I think one thing that people, especially listening, allow yourself to tell your story, because like your story that you may be hesitant about, like me with epilepsy in Paris, like it will be a light to others. And that is the biggest thing that I've sort of grown to understand now is like not being afraid to sort of be real. You know, I think a lot of people sometimes are afraid to be real with who they are and, you know, maybe what you you think others expect of you and stuff. But like at the end of the day, man, all you have is, you know, you are who you are and understanding that and being confident in that and just being open about your faults, your failures, your positives. There'll be people listening who I'll never, you know, I may never talk to. They may never reach out, but like it'll inspire them and get them to places that they would have never got if they would have never heard this conversation or, you know, other conversations. So, you know, just be open and be who you are. Great way to end it, Brett. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much, brother. I appreciate you. Thanks again, listeners. And I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Brett Hunley. You can find Brett just about anywhere. Instagram, LinkedIn, his Men Who Cook series, the Brett Hunley Foundation, ESPN, etc. And you can find me at my website, RamiZaid.com. That's R-O-M-Y-Z-E-I-D.com. Thanks again for listening, everyone. And I hope you all learned something interesting.